I would like for you to talk to us about this concept of spiritual independence I've heard you talk about. Yes, what spiritual is it, independence. What does that look like in your case? Welcome to the Reclamation Podcast. My name is Aldo Martin. And I'm Cousin Eddie. And together, we're going to explore what it's like to be in and leave a religious cult. For more info on the Reclamation Podcast, find me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Aldo B. Martin. So I am so journaling and reflecting. That was a big part to me. Also, you know, there are these teachers that show up when you need it. There are teachers that just drop into your life. They can say something profound, like the guy who challenged me on the color of Jesus. So you don't mean like an actual professional teacher. You just mean mean, like a teachable moment. Teachers everywhere. They could be formal teachers or they could be teachers, random and teachable moments. Yes. Like that guy who asked me that question that he was a teacher um, because he planted a seed that took root. And I was like, yeah, you know, Um, so there are all of these moments that I just really grabbed onto. Um, And then there were really transformative people for me, people who, you know, I remember the first time that a religious leader validated my questioning and I couldn't a religious, a religious, religious leader. So he was a, he was a priest on campus for the Episcopal, church. He was the Episcopal priest on on our campus. And he was the first person who validated my questioning about God and about, and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't Do you remember remember what your question was? Yeah. Well, my husband was talking to him about, you know, all of my changing beliefs because he was a little concerned. And he he was your husband at the time? Yeah, it was my husband at the time. So we were still attending the, um, the, the ministry. So we had shifted out of the Baptist church and we had found the Episcopal Church. But the reason we found them was because of this comment. We started going to this this, this campus ministry after um, Clark was in student affairs. My husband was in student affairs at our university. So he knew all of the campus ministers. And Father Don was somebody he was close with. And he was explaining to Father Don about my all of my, you know, what I was going through. And Father Don was like, eh. He said he drew a wheel for Clark, a circle, you know, with spokes. And he said, everybody, like everybody is trying to get to the source. We just come at it from different ways. doesn't matter. It's all source. So like my questioning and my seeking was just me trying to get closer to, get clearer about, you know, get friendly with, I don't know. I had had such a damaged perspective of God that really had to be healed. And Father and I was like, eh, you know, it's, it's all, it's all the same journey toward the same source. It doesn't matter. Christian, non-Christian. He he didn't mean that in a dismissive way? No, no. He was really being like, and then when we started attending the Episcopal, you know, services on campus, he was, you could stop him in the middle of his homily. I think it's called a homily. I get confused when I go back and forth between these terms, but you could stop him and ask him a question and he would legit answer you. And I found that to be incredible and refreshing. That it could be, and it was like a, it could be a dialogue, which was amazing to me. Yeah. So yeah, um, it could be people that are super transformative. Um, For me, it was people, it was these moments, these unexpected teachers, journaling, um, thinking, learning to pray in a way that felt real. Like I, the way that I prayed growing up just felt so prescriptive. What was that? What was, what was the way that you learned? 
which of course I never felt was good enough. Right. Like, well, we were taught that you pray like in a certain order and you pray in a closet and you pray for this many minutes and you, you know, all of this stuff. And I can't remember the, it was tough and I never got it right. Never. Cause, because I couldn't, I don't know. It just, I felt so disconnected from God. I just felt so disconnected. So it's like, you know, um, for example, you don't go into prayer asking God for something first. First, you go in with gratitude. Well, now I get the sense of that, but that wasn't, it wasn't, um, it wasn't taught from the standpoint, like from a kind of a nurturing standpoint, it was taught from like, you will get the stick standpoint. <laughs> like God will not like this and will not, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, so I again, it's the way you show up to these things partly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it, and it was a long journey for me. I get really excited when I see young people struggling with these questions a lot earlier and resisting a lot earlier. That gets me excited because um, the process is painful. And let me tell you, I, I have found that depending upon if you're in minimal minimum, maximum, a minimum, medium or maximum incarceration, religious incarceration, that correlates to the, the length of your healing. So if you were just somebody raised in a house and you're made to go to church until you're out of that house and at 18, you're out and you go do your own thing. Well, healing from that is not tough, but if you have been in kind of lockdown for your, all of your formative years and you are coming out with some seriously deep wounds, it's going to take you longer to get over those wounds or to heal those wounds. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that's an interesting concept because <clears throat> you were raised into it and I willingly walked into it. Yeah. Right. I love this distinction and, between us. Yes. And, and so, and, and, and we, we wound up, um, uh, uh, coming to the same conclusion, but our entry the, points were different, right? So the system is powerful. System is powerful. Yeah. Now, what I like about your program is that you and Deborah, your co-host, take an academic mm -hmm. and intellectual approach to viewing Christianity, mm -hmm. which is not always the case, right? Because, yeah. you know, to be quite frank, um, when people think of a Christian or they think of religion of Christianity, uh, critical thinking doesn't come into play, right? No, people don't think right. of that. People don't yep. think of it as as um uh, uh it's dangerous it's dangerous right but they don't mm -hmm. they don't equate intelligence with christianity and yeah. i'm not saying that that's how i feel but i think that's how people perceive it now uh, yeah. what kind of an effect does does fear have on people we mentioned that earlier but what kind yeah. of an effect does does that have on people well fear keeps us locked I will just say that fear keeps us locked. Fear keeps us out of our thinking mind and keeps us in our surviving mind. Literally that part of the brain that is impacted by fear and I, there are terms, which I don't know, amygdala, whatever, whatever, but that, that part of the brain that fear impacts literally shuts down the thinking part of the brain. That's why it's so effective. It's why politicians use fear to scare everybody because it, it shuts down the thinking part of your brain. So, um, and the, so fear keeps us locked. It shuts down the thinking part of our brains and it keeps us in survival mode. So that's a problem. That's not good. And then also in the church that I was raised in, and I think maybe also in the church you, uh, you were part of emotion, like if you can hold your hands up and praise God and do the swaying and all of this externalizing of, you know, your adoration, devotion, love of God, that gets you props. That was never, that was never my jam. I'm such a, 
I just, I felt like, and so of course I didn't feel like I was worshiping in the right way. So I, because I was one of those people, I'm an internal processor. I don't externalize. I know it sounds weird to say that and my hands are going all over the place, but I, I'm not an externalizer. What, what, is, what, is, what does an internal processor look like? Okay. I'm a thinking Christian, if you want to say that. In fact, one of the first books that I read that helped me to appreciate that and validate that my, about myself, I think it was called Head Christians and Heart Christians. And the purpose of the book was to say both ways are legit. So the church that raised me, the head, the head part was not, that was very, you know, don't go there. That that's really could be Satan playing with your thoughts. You got to follow your heart and, um, and following your heart is also kind of prescribed, but, but I was, I always lived in my head. Um, and I always found that to be, um, a deficit, right? That wasn't good. Now I think it's, it's quite an asset, it's not a liability. It's an, it's a, it's part of my spiritual life. It's, it's probably my biggest spiritual practice. If I'm being honest, that reading, thinking, reflecting, you know, and figuring out what resonates, but that was really discouraged. And so if you're a thinking person growing up in one of these churches or going to one of these churches, you feel guilty about that. It's like, you're, you're kind of taught to feel suspect, feel guilty, not value that part of it. Because the emotionality, the externalizing is the part that gets you props, that's yeah. rewarded. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the outward demonstration. Right? Yes. The, the outward, outward demonstration. demonstration. Yeah. Yep. And that's that. also what didn't make me a good prayer. I hated when, pe- <laughs> when we would circle up and then people would take turns praying. That was not me. But then there were these people that would go on and on and on and on with Father God and Jesus and, Father, you know, it's like. Oh my gosh. And then the next person would try to do it more. And then the next person would try to do it more. And we would be in a prayer circle forever. Listen, I think, I think you and I would have gotten along because had we been in the same church experience in the same physical space, because we had a, you know, praying for food is not a, uh, that's not a weird thing. Like it, it happens. People do it. It's all good. It's, 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 it's not uncommon. And Whenever I'd be with the people in my church, no matter where we were, whether it's in church or outside of it, whenever we were eating, somebody would pray for the food. Right? Mm-hmm. And always mm-hmm. a brother, a brother would pray for the food. And let me tell you something. There were guys that would pray for like. <laughs> the food like, would get cold. <laughs> like, 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 like five minutes, you know, yeah. like, like, what are we doing? And then whenever I was asked to pray, it would make people mad. Because my food prayer, I already, I have my food prayer memorized. I'm gonna tell the audience my food yeah, prayer tell right me now. What it is. Here we go. Here we go. Ready? Ready? Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Thank you for this food. There you go. That's, That's it. The salt. That's it. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, people have their eyes closed, hands clasped, and then they they look up when I'm done, and they're like. Like Wait, what? what? <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, I got a roll in my hand. That's right. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What are, you, what are you waiting on? So yeah. I, I just didn't understand why it would upset people. Because yeah. I think this kind of goes to what you were just speaking about, where there's some guilt there on yeah, the, on the not... other, right? And fear, yeah. right? Where it's yeah. like, I have to... I have to I have to follow this algorithm. I have to uh, do X, Y, Z. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it won't be blessed. But it's or you won't look like I mean, like you won't look like a strong Christian if you're not no, praying for five minutes. And it won't get you props like you it said. won't. It won't get you props. Right. It won't get you props. Yeah. So 
I got a couple more questions for you. Okay. I, I would like for you to talk to us about this concept of spiritual independence I've heard you talk about. Yeah, what spiritual is it, independence. What does that look like in your case? Well, that looks like being, um, you know, okay, so I'll, I'll tell you. So carcerality is about institutional power. The, the transformative part of that is about transformative power. Spiritual independence is about sovereign power. You get to be the boss of your own religious and spiritual life. You get to make decisions. You get to take what you like and leave what you don't from religious traditions or not, spiritual traditions or not. You know, it could be philosophical traditions or not. It's like you get to be the determiner of those things. You get to be the sovereign in your own spiritual life. That's what spiritual independence is. What do you say to those people that are listening who are not there yet Yeah, and would be, would be alarmed with what you're saying? Yeah, um, I would say I totally understand where you're coming from because that that's how I used to feel. And then I would also, if I heard somebody making that kind of a statement, I would be concerned for their soul, right? Be like, oh boy, you're going to go to hell. Um, I, and I actually did get that from some of my family. And I would remind them that according to our own tenants, once saved, always saved. So they really don't need to be worried about me because I was saved in the church. And if you're, if it's once saved, always saved truly, then you shouldn't be worried about me. Um, and so the thing is, is that is a really, so it took me a long time to get to that place of, of sovereignty. And I practice that through religious traditions and spiritual traditions. Um, but I get to decide and it is so for somebody who is maybe in there. Do you are you wait? Let me ask first, Aldo. Are you talking about people who might still be in the church or people who are on a journey for spiritual towards spiritual independence? I think both, both. Right. Do the and- people, do the people inside the church? I'm not speaking to them. Nothing I say will make them think any differently. I don't think. But for the people who are on a kind of a, a spiritual, you know, healing journey. Um, I would say what I, what I believe, take what you like and leave what you don't. So if that idea makes you uncomfortable, don't, don't even try to embrace it. Um, find something that makes you comfortable with your own religious and spiritual life. And maybe that means no religious life and you would, and you would, and you, and you accomplish your spirituality through nature or through running or through yoga or through, you know, there's lots of ways to be spiritual. I, th- I think there are too. And I, and I think if if this this road to spirituality man if if it's a road some people are just getting on exit one right? yeah right and, right and there's others that are so further scary. along yeah That's it's so sca- scary to be at, at at exit one or whatever you said it's, yeah it, no it's a scary thing and yeah. then and then because you, you gotta you gotta you gotta find it yourself you do. Mm-hmm. You gotta yeah. find it yourself, and and that's why I wanted you on the program because I really wanted the listeners because the majority of our listeners are former members of the ICOC, and at least I think, and there's so much fear when you leave such an organization, and I want us to realize that this fear is universal. Yeah, it as really is. The is. Case, as is the case with you, Robin. Mm-hmm. And and you've fought, and you've traveled, and you fought some more. And yes. I would imagine you're probably still fighting and still traveling. 
as as the rest of us are. It's a lifelong uh, journey, our spiritual health and well-being. It is. And we're on this so, path. And yeah, Robin yeah. and I, we were on the road and I happened to run into her on the expressway. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? There we go. Yes. Roll my window down. Beep, beep. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how it went. So earlier you mentioned this, uh, the P word, proselytize. Oh, yeah. Mm. So in my church, we will call it share our faith mm-hmm. when it came to but, recruiting people. Doesn't that sound lovely? It sounds lovely. Share share our faith with people. Sounds lovely. <laughs> but in actuality, share our faith was really invite somebody to the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard you use the term proselytize. Can mm-hmm. you explain the difference? I think it's the same thing. I mean, honestly, I think it's the same thing. We're There's an expectation to win people over. And getting them to church is part of that. Um, just winning them over is a part of that. This is an area that I always failed at miserably because I was so uncomfortable uh, proselytizing to people, witnessing to people, sharing my faith with people. I was so uncomfortable. And at the time, is, I is didn't it because you're, are, would you consider yourself an introvert or? Well, I, I definitely am an introvert. So I do think that that was part of it. But I also think that in some deep part of me, even back then, because I, I was internally resisting growing up. But I was internally resisting and thinking that was wrong, you know, really placing a lot of judgment on myself about that internal. But what resistance. was wrong? You you re- you thought you resisting was wrong. Yeah, just even internally, you know, like my thoughts, resistant thoughts, I thought was wrong. Now I see that as part of my deeper self, and my deeper self, I think, has always had a a problem feeling like I'm impeding on other people's consciences. Like I freedom of conscience is really important to me. I think that people should have freedom of conscience. And I felt like I was stepping on people's conscience, religious and spiritual conscience, however people want to define that. And I just felt like from a very early age that that wasn't right. I didn't have the language for it. You talked in one of your episodes, I think, about not having the language yet for things, but didn't have the language for it. But that deep knowing that is like our in, inner guide, our, our you know, our inner teacher. It's like an instinct. Like. It's like an yeah. instinct. It's that real deep stuff that transcends religion. Yeah. I felt like it was wrong. And now I understand why I felt that way. But back then I didn't, I just felt like I was really bad at it yet. And everything, um, and we used to go door to door, Ugh, you know, like, (laughs) Oh, just painful. Um, or we would put people, or we would be asked to put our friends on lists. And then I would have to go with members from the church and knock on their doors. It was just very uncomfortable. Um, yeah, just not my jam again, not my jam. And and it doesn't really sound productive to be quite honest. No, I think there's a lot to be said about just leading people through your example uh, or gentle persuasion. I I believe in, you know, gently teaching and encouraging. I don't for, I don't like to force things on people because, you know, when you've been, when you've been in a, in an environment that has that, you know, where things are forced on you and it's, it's high stakes. Do a go to heaven, do B go to hell. Like there's like, you know, and so there are lots of, tripwires right into hell <laughs> yeah. and the, the path for heaven is straight and narrow. So, I mean, it was just, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, yeah. well 
you know, I, I began the episode by talking about how the ICOC really believed that we were the only ones. Yeah. And uh, the no, only ones we- that were saved. So what that also did was, for those of us that left, we believed that we were the only ones that experienced this negativity. Yeah. And and I hope that the audience, uh, you guys in the audience, I hope you guys really can see through Robin's story or Robin's example that there are others and and we're all going through this this thing together separately in different cars so to speak but we're we're going through this together and and I really hope that uh, that Robin's story exemplified that Robin thank you so much for the time of course and, and I hope everybody uh, enjoys this one as well. Thank you so much. Well, Robin. and you're welcome. And I hope for people who are sort of on this journey that they're kind to themselves and um, compassionate because it is a, kind of a painful process. So be gentle, go gentle with yourself. Um, and that's what I would say there. Well said. Next time on The Reclamation. And so then when I get to third year, almost third year law school, and one of my best high school buddies calls me out of nowhere. And he's in Philadelphia, in the Philadelphia church. And he said, I'm happier than I've ever been. And he reaches out to me over the phone and says, you got to go check out this church. The kids don't know about the glory days, man. My they kids don't. my kids laugh at me. They think, they really think that I'm not cool. I'm like, are you kidding me? 